there, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Club. We really appreciate your company. I'm Ben Hook, sport columnist at The Advertiser and Sunday Mail. I'm with Flinders University's award-winning researcher and senior lecturer in sport, health and physical activity, Sam Elliott. We are together in Flinders University's Good Vibe Factory. Sam, g'day. Nice to see you again. Great to be here, Hooky. How have you been? I'm really well, mate. I'm very excited about today's episode. As a parent myself, we're going to be talking about parent involvement. We're going to talk about what type of parents there are. We're going to talk about how they're involved, to what extent they're involved, how they can be better involved, and what are some of the do's and don'ts with managing parents. Critical for all sports clubs, I reckon. You know the deal though, mate? Before we get into the nuts and bolts of every episode, Club of the Day. Want a club of the day? Absolutely. What have you got for us this week? I'm going to give the club of the day today to Western Athletics Club. Western Athletics Club has uh, an athlete called Hugo Tahini. I think that's how I pronounce his surname, but Hugo. Let's just run with Hugo. Uh, He's the number one in the world at shot put and discus. A week or so from when we're recording this episode, he actually broke the world record in the shot put by 49 centimetres. I mean, that is, when you're talking about... very small distances in throwing events. 49 centimetres is a monumental effort. So he's number one in the world, and he is absolutely, truly celebrated by the Western Athletics Club. The thing I think is interesting about Hugo, he's number one in the world, but for athletes who live with Down syndrome. He lives on York Peninsula. Uh, he travels down with his mum every weekend and competes, and he is treated like a rock star by Western Athletics Club. I reckon there's probably an era not that long ago when a kid with Down syndrome who was going and competing for a mainstream athletics club probably was a little bit sidelined, bit of a sideshow, not exactly embraced. I tell you what, the Western Athletics Club is embracing this kid like nothing you've ever seen. It's fantastic. Love watching it. I'm just looking through their Facebook page now. There's huge photos of him uh, breaking the record. They are so good with him and he is so good with them. It's a wonderful story. That is fantastic. Congratulations, Hugo, and well done to the Western Districts Athletics Club. I think, although we're not all about... uh you know, performance and achievement on this show. Uh, that's a great example of, uh, of of so many great values in community sport, and we'd love to hear more from our community. So if there's any other suggestions, Hooky, maybe they could hook up an email or a, a contact with us at some point. Just look through the show notes, find any way to get in contact with us, uh, me on Twitter, you on Twitter, or, uh, you know, via the Flinders University Shape page. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. But Hugo Tahini in the Western Athletics Club, our club of the day. And a shout out to his mum, Louise, who I've been speaking to in the last few weeks, and she is an absolute ripper as well. And it's a nice little segue because we are talking about parent involvement, Sam. Let's just go right to the nuts and bolts of parents. There are all different types of parents. There are parents who are involved and engaged. There are parents who've been club legends of the sport that this kid is now playing. There are parents who are completely disengaged and barely bring the car to the stop as they push the kid out of the car and get them off onto the sports field or wherever it is they go. Just tell us about some of the stereotypes, some of the the traditional parenting roles that we see at sports clubs. Yes, yeah, so it's a really good question, and I'm, I'm so glad to talk about this topic. When we think of parents in sport, clubs especially, view parents in a number of ways, one of which is that of either under-involved or even over-involved, and it tends to emerge from some really early research in the, the 80s and 90s that under-involved parents were those that were 
disinterested and, like you mentioned, yep. pushing them out the car, right to this other extreme of parents who are over-involved. They are helicopter parents. They are <laughs> they are coaching from the sideline. And you see some of these things from time to time, but these are your two polarising extremes. And clubs tend to be aware of those things and ignore where the majority of the parents sit, which is really in the middle. And okay. They are somewhat involved to some degree, and, and, and that's really where the heart of the conversation starts. So... Okay, let's let's start with the over-involved. What are some of the things that we perhaps need to do as a sporting club to just tone down the over-involved? And what are some of the things that we maybe need to do to just warm up a little bit the under-involved? Yeah, so this is one of the challenges in the research and how it translates into every sporting club at our community level. This is not a conversation necessarily of being at a certain level of involvement mm. because sport parenting and youth sport is complex. It will change by age, by sport type, by the motivation of the child, by the environment that's created around them. And so there's no prototype. There's no there's no standard of parenting that you must get to, but there are some principles. And so if we look at some principles of really good parenting involvement, what are the typically we see? Well, number one, parents are the number one provider of sporting opportunities. That that's really obvious. It's it's obvious, but it's crucial. As in they're the, the taxi they for a start. Taxi, they pay the subs, they mm. pay the insurance, they drive them to training. There is a logistical and a pragmatic element of parent involvement. They are literally enabling sport. There's another layer of social and even emotional support. Parents are there as as a very important form of social support for the child. We can all relate to that. There's a third layer here, and it doesn't matter what age, what sport, parents are vital. They are critical in helping children to interpret experience because when you're cut from the team yeah. or when you lose a game or when players or children especially are trying to question, did the coach really, is that really what they meant or am I taking this the right way? Parents are critical, especially after the game, on the weekend, during the week, in helping children to make sense of their sport experience. Now, that will be different from household to household. It's not a matter of over or under-involvement. It's a matter of how well can you understand and adapt your involvement along the journey. Mm, okay. So you, you said a word to me called typology. Now, I, I, I think we're probably just, that's just backtracking over what we've just discussed, isn't it? That there's more than one type of parent, that there are a whole type of, there's different types of parents, there's different levels of involvement. What impact does a parent have on not just their child's sporting career, but the sporting club as well? It's huge. And so if we look at maybe the individual and then the club environment, yeah. what the research tells us, and we've just published a study last year on 60 years, 60 years of parent involvement in sport research. It's it's a fantastic uh, scoping review. And what we know is that uh, in terms of motivational outcomes, we know that parent involvement and the way in which they are perceived by the child and by other peers uh, strongly impacts enjoyment, motivation, continuation behavior, self-efficacy, their self-belief, uh, their perceptions of their own competence. If a child feels they're not very good at a sport, that can be strongly impacted by the information that they're getting around them. And so if mum and dad aren't giving them the kind of uh, feedback or indicators of improvement and um, and participation that the child needs, it can actually start to really slow their understanding that, hey, I'm actually, I'm still learning, but I'm doing okay in this sport. Mm. So parents are crucial for self-belief and, and a range of those other things that I've mentioned, as much as enjoyment, which is the number one fuel for continuation behavior. So Sam, I just want to backtrack over that point for a little bit. You're talking about the involvement that parents can have in uh, the confidence and the development of their own child, even if they're not particularly knowledgeable about the sport they're involved in. Let's just say I'm a parent of a kid playing at our sporting club, the Bedford Park Bullfrogs. Uh, what are some of the, the key things that I could be doing for my child to 
I guess, inspire them, encourage them, support them, even though I'm not necessarily really well attuned to what the nuts and bolts, the nub of their sport. Yeah, there's a couple of things straight away. The first one actually happens before sport, before competition, and right. it's where parents and children can develop and communicate goals together. I think it's really, really key because often what we see is children habitually move into sport and at some point in the journey, you might have a conversation about goals and, and what the, the ambition and the motivation and the interests are of the child. And they will change from day to day to week to week, season to season. Right. And so it's really important that parents are aware of those changing motivations and interests. But it's also an opportunity for parents to just impart a bit of influence as well, which is absolutely critical, right? We don't want children making all of their decisions about their sporting journey. That, mm. that could be quite a, a misguided trajectory. So there's a level of parent involvement that's really key in developing goals together. Sure. So Sam, if we just come back to that example of uh, me being a parent of a 10-year-old girl who plays her sport and she's got a match this day coming up against, for example, the Adelaide Airport Ants. What are some of the specific things I want to have in that conversation? Is it just simply a matter of saying to my daughter, hey, what do you want to get out of today's match? So it depends entirely, entirely on the kind of personal individual that you're a parent of. If, if your child is super motivated, yep. they love their sport, sometimes their needs, okay, might actually require parents to show more initiative in starting those conversations. If you've got a child at the other end of the, let's say, the continuum, okay, someone that doesn't really, that they might not be enjoying sport that much and parents are still trying to, what do you want to try and do today? What are your goals? It can actually exacerbate feelings of anxiety. So this is really about knowing your child and I think your question is a really good example of what is a challenge for parents is like, what do I say? Mm. What do I do? What do I say? There's no uniformity here. There's no one thing that you can and should do, but there are principles that will help you make good decisions. And so one of those things is to develop goals together. Yep. But maybe the next example is when you are at the plane, the Adelaide Airport Ants, or yeah. to use your You've example there, yeah. at the Ants. They're our rivals. <laughs> those mighty ants. Um, what I mean, the thing I would suggest is that in those conversations or the opportunities is to maybe just work through whether it, is it you starting the conversation is it the child? Do you have the conversation on the weekend, during the game, before the game, after the game, or is it during the week? Do you check in frequently or do you check in every month? That's going to change from household to household. And so there is an, a level of parenting expertise here where you have to know your child. Really key. Really good point. So let's just extend that a little bit out. I'm now the president of the Bedford Park Bullfrogs. And we want to encourage that amongst all of our parents, that we want those conversations to start to have. What are some of the key messages and how do I deliver that as the president to all of my 70, 80, 100 parents about trying to encourage those conversations? Because as the president, I've got maybe two or three coaches who maybe have, say, four hours a week contact with my athlete. Your parent has... 100 hours. Yeah. So they're pretty powerful. How can I harness that for good? Uh, you've just highlighted a really key point there. I mean, there's such a limited time in sport, 168 hours, I believe, in a week. And if the child is living at home, most children are, that's a lot of time to exert influence. And so this is where the first thing I'd say to clubs is to not view parents as the enemy. Right. Often parents are seen as an impediment. Yes. That they are in the way. Let the coaches coach and parents get out the way. I think it's a really, really key example of what we see in the literature that we need to change our attitude and our culture of how we view parents. Instead of working against parents, that they're a problem in need of some kind of intervention, we need to work with parents yeah. because they are our greatest source of volunteerism. 
They are also the most important adult influence in a child's sporting journey because of what you just highlighted. They are they're with the child for so many hours and especially in those discrete moments around sport. So driving to the game, leaving the game, driving to training, leaving training, those impromptu conversations when the sport is on on the weekend on the TV and they're having a conversation about how it relates back to what they did last weekend. These are times and teachable moments where clubs and coaches don't really have direct influence, but parents do. So if we can bring them on board and and work with them rather than against them, that's going to be a really key message, I think, for clubs going forward. Fantastic point. I sort of have always had the attitude, and I think I represent the old style of most of these situations. And Sam, I'm pretty keen on golf, and we talk about caddies in golf, and there's three rules of a caddy, and that's turn up, keep up, shut up. And I've always seen like the parent involvement is, yeah, get your kid there, stay around and watch, but do not have any influence whatsoever. And changing that dynamic, changing that sort of, that very simplistic line of thinking is a really interesting point. We've got so much more to talk about. In the meantime, we're going to take a break and catch up with a message from the Good Sports Program at the Alcohol and Drug Foundation. Hey, this is Christian from the Good Sports Program. At Good Sports, we know mental health is just as important as physical health both on and off the field. With one in five Australians experiencing mental ill health every year, it's more important than ever to make sure your club feels safe, connected and supported. That's why at Good Sports, we provide a free online mental health learning module to educate players, coaches and parents within your sporting club. Access for free now at goodsports.com.au. Sam, it's very easy for uh, clubs to just see parents who behave badly as just out of the box and a bit crazy or whatever, but it's a bit more nuanced than that, isn't it? Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's very easy for clubs to maybe pigeonhole bad parenting to overzealous behaviour or the parent that's vicariously invested and involved in their kid's sport. It's much more than that. And, and really what the research tells us is that we need to appreciate that there are a range of stresses that parents encounter in youth sport. And a lot of these stresses strongly impact what they do, how they behave in sport. And so a couple of examples. Um, so yep. are we going to jump in? No, no, no. <laughs> I, was, I was about to ask you for an example, but yeah, don't, don't let me get in your way. No, no. <laughs> you can if you need to. Um, okay, so like the, the research will tell us that there are three main categories of stresses that every parent will endure in sport. So for example, there are a range of organisational stresses. These might relate to selection. And sometimes selection decisions are not easily understood by parents. That yeah. can be a really important stressor that not just the child goes through, but also the parent as well. So you're basically saying the feeling of a parent, and I reckon most parents could relate to this at some stage, my kid isn't getting a fair go. Absolutely. And this is not just grassroots football as an example, where there's 40 kids lined up waiting to have their turn on the ground. And I can hear some clubs saying, we do this really well, Sam. We've got an iPad there. We can rotate really well. Many clubs don't. Okay, so that's the first thing. But our research, and again, you've got to understand that this is with parents, with coaches from the grassroots. What the research tells us is that that kind of um, limited game time opportunity is a stressor for the child. It's also a stressor for the parent, and it hits them in two ways. Number one, the child's missing out on opportunities to develop, and so they become obviously disgruntled and and upset by that. Mm. That's an impact for parents. That's an influence on their involvement, their attitude, their behaviour. But it also has another consequence because as the child is missing opportunities, they might start to, well, what's the point? I don't want to go to training tonight or whatever it might be. That's an additional challenge for the parent and and the family as well. So it's just like one of many examples of organisational stresses. Finance, 
time. Those types of commitments impact families and the family unit in so many different ways. Really high demand in some instances, especially with sports that cost a lot of money. That is a really important stressor that clubs need to acknowledge. And if the parent doesn't see the va- the, the value proposition in it, it's probably very easy that that gets cast upon the child as well. Yeah, absolutely. It certainly can do. But I, I think a lot of the research would actually show that, uh, generally speaking, when we look at these organisational stresses, it's the nature of the, let's say, club communication or the lack of club communication with the organisation, with the club, with the families, that is a really important stressor to acknowledge, as well as the time and the financial commitments. Underneath that hookie, there are developmental stresses. Yeah. And so as children move into sport, and especially if they start moving into a talent pathway or they start moving into a more solidified commitment to sport, maybe at 12, 13, they really start to reduce their involvement to sort of one or two sports as an example. There's a question here for parents around, well, how much time should they be spending at training? How much time should they be spending on school? Are they being overtrained? Are they taking away from their future, whatever that might be. Yeah. And these are stresses for a lot of families as well. Many families might say, oh, we don't worry about that because, you know, we just focus on the now. There are also many families that the research would show that this is a really big challenge for them. So when you're talking about developmental stresses, are you sort of referring to the fact that is the amount of time that this child is investing in their sport overall, is that good for them? Yep, that's definitely part of it. There's another angle here where as a parent watches their child move through sport, they might be questioning whether their child is developing the kind of characteristics as a person, okay. as a young person, um, that's going to be beneficial for the rest of their life. It could be the development of character or competence or resilience or whatever it might be. These are things that parents are often questioning as well. It is a source of stress uh, or it can be a stressful challenge for them. So there's organisational stresses, there's developmental stresses, and the most obvious one are the competitive stresses. Okay. And that's the child that's at the start blocks of a running race. And parents know their children to a large extent, mm-hmm. right? They can see when they're nervous. They can see when they're anxious. They can see when they're agitated. They can see when they are feeling pressure from whatever source of pressure it might be. It could be the coach. It could be internal, you know, self-driven expectation. But whatever it is, parents feel that as well. And so when you're looking at these different types of competitive stresses, not just whether they win or lose, but just the feelings of before competition and after competition – they are things that are really difficult for families. And what I'm trying to highlight here is that there are a range of factors that impact what parents do and what they say. It's not just a simple equation of don't be don't be a goose. Yeah. It's it's more than that. Okay. And, and I think that's really key for clubs to understand. Organizational stresses, developmental stresses, competitive stresses. There's a lot of things for sports clubs to take on to understand why their parents behave like they do. And as we said, most parents are pretty good, but you just get the odd one that does uh, is, is probably more affected by these stresses than others, I think is probably the best way to put it. What are some good ways for clubs to try and manage these stresses on their parents? Definitely. Well, I'm going to talk about three things that clubs typically do and maybe shouldn't rely on universally. So what we see across the board is clubs or are clubs who will adopt a code of behaviour. The code of conduct, it's their line in the sand, it's the the thing that comes out at the start of every season. And parents will read it, they'll sign it, they might pledge, they might do something along those lines from day one, but then very rarely does it have any relevance across the season unless an issue occurs. Sure. So there's an over-reliance on this policy and really... You know, if, if Sam misses registration day as a father, am I going to be impacted by that, you know, in round six or seven when we join the club? It's unlikely that that particular policy is going to have any impact on my behaviour, my involvement from that day forward. So we can often overestimate the code of behaviour and the, 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 the proof of this is really simple. 
So many clubs use codes of behaviour, and yet every year there are constant examples of parents who supposedly misbehave in youth sport. Yeah. So we have to question, does it actually work? And I've published a paper on this around the limited, let's say, effectiveness of a code of behaviour. So we sure. don't throw it out altogether, no. but we don't just rely on it. Sure. Okay, so that's the first one, yep. um, the, the first technique that we use to manage the... I guess, the way in which parents are involved in sport. The second one we tend to see a little bit less, but they're the punitive measures. And so this is where clubs or even the organisations may seek to fine or punish or suspend players or even parents or maybe both as a result of bad parent involvement. Right. Okay, So if you think of abuse from the sidelines yes. or if you think of uh, parents who might yell at a, a a player as an example or, or an umpire. These are examples where in some sports and in some settings, the use of a fine may actually be the way in which they try and dissuade this kind of behaviour. Right. The challenge is this. If Ben Hook, and Hooky, I'm going to implicate you here. Sure. If Ben's a passionate father and the stakes are high enough because it's a grand final. Well, they, the Bedford Park Bullfrogs, they've got a preliminary final coming they, up. They're playing the, the Adelaide Airport Ants. Yeah. And you feel like in this moment, you can actually put off a player by saying something from the sideline and the fine's only $20. Some parents may find that the proposition is actually worth the punishment. Okay, yeah. We're going to actually engage in this behaviour. So there could be an inadvertent consequence of trying to punish these behaviours with fines. It might actually incentivise some of those behaviours you don't want to see yeah. at the times that are really, if you like, high emotion and, and high investment, such as the finals. So code of conduct and then nothing else behind it is one no-no. Punitive measures are another no-no. What are other ways that we can help manage all of these stresses that parents deal with on top of the fact that understanding them is really important first and foremost? Yeah, absolutely. So it comes from a position of understanding. But the third, if you like, method that is often used, um, but to a lesser degree, are things like Silent Saturday. It's a concept you know, in New South Wales, they call it the shush campaign. Mm. And so this is where we often see uh, an enforced, governed level of parent involvement. And often it's things like you can only clap. <laughs> or you can't say anything at all during the game. And right. so invariably you've got a very different sport experience. That is not optimal either because often what parents, sorry, often what children enjoy about this sport are mums and dads who are involved. They love mums and dads who provide examples of encouragement and feedback and support. And that manifests during competition sometimes as cheering. The risk is that if it's excessive, then it can be embarrassing for the child, etc. But there is a level of parent involvement from the sideline, as an example, that children actually enjoy. Mm. And when you want to try and maximise the fun proposition in sport, why would you take away something that they actually enjoy just yeah. because one or two people maybe overstep the mark? So if I recap those three things, there's certainly contractual measures, the codes of behaviour that you cannot solely rely on. Sure. You cannot then just use fines and punishments as an example because they may actually in some ways uh, undermine really what you're trying to achieve. Okay, Parents might think it's worth the fine, it's worth the $20 mm. or it's worth the week off the following year because I'm not going to be here anyway. Uh, <laughs> the third week cookie, it might be, so the third week, the third example is probably where you start to see the shush campaign and yeah. where you see governed behaviour. What happens if Sam ignores that and says something anyway. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's really hard to police. Who's who's trained to police that kind of behaviour? Who's yeah. trained to you know be involved in conflict resolution in those moments? It's a really difficult conversation. So where does that leave us? It's number four. And this is where, I was going to say schools, sporting clubs need to make sure they consider working with parents, not against parents. Use educational support, informational support to help parents understand and optimise their involvement. Okay. It's not a matter of reducing their involvement. This is not a conversation about saying, parents, we want to put you in a box and we want you to behave in one specific way. 
because parents have a great vibrancy and a great contribution to youth sport. But what we want to be able to do is to provide parents and equip them with the informational support that they need to optimise their behaviour. If I'm the president of the Bedford Park Bullfrogs, how do I source the information that I need to be handing over to my parents? Yep, so there's a lot of resources online and I think Sport Australia do this really well around finding resources and developing resources for clubs. And so the first thing might be to do is in addition to your day one of pre-season registration, codes of behaviour, making sure that there are regular opportunities across the season to engage your parents, to, to learn about the stresses that they're going through and to understand the kind of support that they need. And it might be an information session. It might be providing them continued opportunities for their own development in terms of these these resources via Sport Australia, just as one example. Um, there could be some other examples where in the research there's some really good programs, interventions that can be run through sport to remind parents of their role modelling responsibility, uh, how to manage their emotions during competition, those kind of things as well. Uh, really interesting stuff. I'm going to let you work on your fast four takeaways to wrap our episode. In the meantime, let's take a message from the Sammy D Foundation. Hey, it's Shannon here from the Sammy D Foundation. Sporting clubs are a great place for people to connect, to enjoy themselves and to celebrate the game. But at times, things can get out of hand. That's where our PartyWise program comes in. Our PartyWise program gives you the knowledge and strategies around alcohol and other drug use. We educate and empower your club and its members to understand the harm and impact of alcohol and other drugs, the different type of drugs and their effects, and strategies to keep you and your mates safe. To learn more about the PartyWise program, call us on 8374 1678 or find us at sammydfoundation.org.au. Yeah, thanks for joining us on Beyond the Club. We're talking about parent involvement in organised youth sport. Uh, we've covered off a whole host of areas. The stereotypical parent that is involved in your sporting club, what impacts their behaviour, all the different stresses that they suffer, some of the ways that you can manage those stresses and understand what they're dealing with. And then we get to this part of the episode, Sam, where we come up with our fast four. These are the usable, simple, accessible ideas that everyone can take away and implement at their own sporting club or in their own family tomorrow. So let's start, Sam, with point number one. Point number one, with, not against. What I mean by that, working with parents, seeing parents um, and wanting to work with them to understand their experiences, etc., is much better for the club, for the parent, for the child than working against them. What does against look like? Well, it might be things where you start to see parents from an enemy perspective that they are the problem. Yep. Yeah, so what we're saying is instead of the traditional model of worrying about parents and being concerned about their behaviour and trying to corral them and keep them away from the action, it's actually you're better off bringing them in and starting to learn a bit more about them and them learn a bit more about you. Yeah, absolutely. Parents are an ally of this youth sport experience. They're a vital cog in the entire journey. We need to work with them, not against them. Point number two. Point number two, and this is really an attitude for clubs, understand that being a parent in the 21st century in sport, in competitive sport, is a complex experience. You okay. need to dispense with the black and white thinking that just, just behave. It's as simple as that. Don't be an idiot. They are really, if you like, old school attitudes around how we think about parents in sport. And maybe in this episode, by highlighting the range of stresses that parents encounter, mm. including the children's experiences as well, which can be stressful for parents, it highlights that it is complex, it is dynamic, um, and it is a fast paced, if you like, social experience. And so clubs would do well to just empathize and understand that. Work with your parents, not against them. 
understand that they've got some complex challenges in front of them. What's point number three? Point number three is no matter what you want to do as a sporting club, don't use just one strategy. Don't just use a code of behaviour. Mm. Don't just implement a, a punitive measures system such as a fine. Um, I've been through a range of examples today. One size does not fit all. Okay, and so this is the the lesson here, I should say, for clubs is don't just pick one approach. These uh, interventions or these these methods, if you like, um, are useful but they are not in isolation enough. And so what is missing, I think, in a lot of sporting clubs are what are you doing to set up parents for success? What are the educational support resources that you can provide? And what are the opportunities along the way to check in with parents? A bit like school, Mm. the parent-teacher interview. It happens not just once a year, it happens once a term if you want to. And so you've got regular opportunities to engage the family unit. The same mentality should be applied in sport. We need to think about not adopting this one-size-fits-all model, but a much more integrated and continuous approach along the sporting journey. And giving parents an opportunity to really have an understanding of what the coach, what the president, what the what everyone else around the club is trying to achieve. Absolutely. It does work both ways. And what you're highlighting there, Hookie, is that the clubs have an opportunity to engage parents and say, look, we understand the stresses that you're going through. Thank you for sharing them with us. We've also got some challenges as well. We've got this coming up and we're managing the pandemic and we've got more kids coming in. And I think sometimes the exchange of information and that, that open communication is, is just fundamental. The shared understanding. Point number four, and I think it relates to kids who maybe are getting a bit older and developing in their Sport. Well, think of every child that starts sport. They typically play for more than one day. And so no matter how long your journey is, it could be a season, it could be 10 seasons, it could be one year, it could be 15 years. In that journey, however it is defined for the family, the advice I have for every mum and dad out there is don't reduce your involvement along the journey. Okay, that's really key. Do not reduce your involvement, but understand that your role will change and adapt. Mm. And it might mean that you take a step back in some areas, but you take more emotional, if you like, responsibility to help your child make sense of their experience. Or sometimes you just need to listen a little bit more. You don't reduce your involvement, but you change and adapt along the way. Brilliant, Sam. So we'll just wrap that up. Work with your parents, not against them. Understand that they suffer complex stresses, organisational stresses, developmental stresses, competitive stresses. Make sure that you have a program that isn't just one size fits all, that you're regularly engaging with your parents and giving them an opportunity to share their feedback in in more than just one simple manner and just don't write it off as everything solved by a code of conduct. And the last thing, which is an encouragement to parents, is to understand that your your role of parenting for a kid in sport is going to adapt and change as they move through their journey in their own sport. Absolutely. It's so key. And I just want to reiterate that one because a lot of parents will feel that as their child ages up through sport, that the parent role becomes less significant, that the child and the athlete intensify their relationship. And that's the one that matters. What the research actually shows is that parents are crucial along the entire journey. So do not reduce your involvement change, adapt accordingly. Sam, I reckon that's about 400 pages of reading busted back into 25 minutes. Nice job. Thank you. Parental involvement in organised youth sport. So that's a wrap of this episode of Beyond the Club. You can access the resources mentioned in this episode in the show notes or by heading to our webpage, flinders.edu.au forward slash shape. I'm Sam Elliott on Twitter. And I'm Ben Hook on Twitter. The podcast is at Beyond the Club on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks to everyone in the Good Vibe Factory. Our producer is Cameron Ottenhoff. Our music is by Ben Watson. Our artwork is by Alicia Menzel. Hope you enjoyed the episode. We'll see you next time on Beyond the Club. Thank you.